Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. It is my pleasure to introduce to you the Urban Guru Cafe. Uh, yeah, strong is good. I hate to break it to you, but there is no big lie. There is no system. The universe is indifferent. Our preachers preach of evil fates. Teachers teach that knowledge waits can lead to hundred dollar plates. Goodness hides behind its gates. But even the president of the United States sometimes must have to stand naked. And if my thought dreams could be seen, they'd probably put my head in a guillotine. But it's alright, Ma. It's life and life only. Welcome to the Urban Guru Cafe. Okay, welcome to program number 49, isn't it? 49? Yes. Okay, what are we doing this week? We're going to talk to Paul again, aren't we? Yeah, this is part two of the interview with Paul Hederman. And we get to hear that story that he tells about the lion and the sheep. So with no further ado, let's have a listen to what you recorded. Excellent. We'll see if it's excellent. <laughs> I mean, excellent that we start. Oh, okay. Here we go. You talk about entertaining the thought that there is no me. But you say there is nothing to attain or achieve in entertaining this thought. Can you explain that? Well, I didn't say entertaining a thought, I don't think. It's entertaining a possibility. Okay, sorry, it, of course, yes, yeah. entertaining a What's, possibility, yes. Yeah. Because a possibility to me is like space. It's like pregnant. It's not appeared yet, but it's a possibility. It's like looking, gazing out of a big open gate and then see what happens, yeah? So that entertaining a possibility, I think that's what the mind is in a way. It's an entertainment of possibility. Yeah? So if you can see that, we're just attempting to, to introduce a new possibility. Let's say that you're not that or you're not your thoughts or what. You can have what all these little things we say. But really the state of being, to me, of that freedom is just being in an entertainment of a possibility. Yeah? Yeah, and it gets established in a sense. Now, I'm just attempting to share with people so maybe they can have a moment or two where they're in that or they're aware of that. It's almost like a, if the mind could take a posture, it would be like a position of entertaining a possibility. Now, I believe most people's minds are closed, yeah? Mm-hmm. They've entertained the possibility that they're separate, that they're the body, that... There's time, that this is solid and real and all like that. And entertaining those possibilities has closed them up to the mind's innate nature, which is the ability to entertain, you know? Mm-hmm. Unbelievable possibilities, that's it. So this is like a, trying to like an antidote with the exact same quality of the mind's nature, which is to be able to entertain a possibility. I mean, how many times in your life has something finally dawned on you? And you finally entertain a new possibility. You didn't see that you had been entertaining an old possibility that was limiting you to doing that. Yeah? Yep. 
you just feel like, oh, I've just entertained a new possibility. But really, what was confining or causing that not to be entertained was your mind was busily entertaining these previous possibilities of being like in time and all like that. So that's what I'm attempting to say. The quality of mind, to me, is an entertaining of possibilities. In entertaining the possibility that there is no me, there's nothing in that that's going to be attained or achieved. And that's kind of what I wanted you to address, that notion that it's not about attainment or achievement. Well, of course, if there was about attainment and achievement, there would have to be a primary attainer or achiever. And even in that case, whatever you attain or achieve, Let's say you think you've attained peace of mind, but you wouldn't even be able to enjoy it. Because that same mind that thinks it can achieve peace of mind on this other side of the coin entertains it can lose it. Yeah. Because if I stop doing what I think I did to bring about this peace, <laughs> then the peace would go away. So it's all conditional. It's all a conditional peace and a conditional this and a conditional that with you as the primary God once again. Yeah. This is prior to that. This is, I mean, being. Was there ever a wasing or a willing? Is this the being? Yeah. There's just the presence. The presence is so immediate. Like if I sat here and I said, oh, I've got to get ready for, let's say, we're going to have a talk. And then everyone would start maybe getting ready to hear the talk. The message is so prior to that. You can't recognize it. There's not one speck of distance from it, from what's looking. So there's no room for an attainer or achiever to appear. Yeah. That would denote or connote time, that there would be a process for me to attain what I don't have. It's ridiculous. So aside from the fact that there would be an achiever or an attainer, it's also assuming that what is being sought isn't here always and ever. That's right. So why, you know, then that's conditional. Yeah. It's been caused. Yeah, it's been caused, seemingly, and it will be uncaused. (laughs) And usually what you deep down believe, even if you don't know it, is that you somehow caused it and you will somehow uncause it. That to me is playing what people would call God. Yeah. 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 Listening to the Urban Guru Cafe, our guest this week is Paul Hederman. So you say that our attention to me creates an unconsciousness, like you're almost asleep. Can you explain this? Let's say you have the six gates of the senses. You, know, you have touch, feeling, you know, hearing, smelling, seeing. And then in Buddhism, they would call the mind another sense, and it recognizes thoughts as an object, like the eye would see a bird. Well, in our situation, the emphasis or the addiction or the real disease is that the thoughts that are being seen by the conditioned mind are emphasized more than the other gates. And that habit, most of your attention gets funneled into that. It's almost as if you don't have any say anymore. People seem to be obsessed with their thoughts against their will. So when I found the identification as a self 
because the self to me is the calm that keeps that attention going to the thoughts because if you realize the thoughts aren't about you, let's say if I had a, a movie show tonight here at my house and I was going to show a movie about Paul. Now, probably no too many Steves or Bobs would come. Maybe a couple of women would come who had gone out with a Paul and wanted to make sure they're right about him. But a lot of Pauls would probably show up. You know, I'd be serving the popcorn and stale jujubes and everything was going on. And everyone's very excited. They're very they're anticipating. They're really into it because they think it's going to be about them. Yeah. yeah. As soon as the movie starts, it's quickly recognized that it's not about them. They lose total attention. They lose total interest in it. Yes? Yeah. Total interest in it. It's like if someone was talking in the other room here at my house, and let's say I was interested in that person, I wanted to hear what they were saying, a part of me would be glued to that wall trying to listen to what they were saying. And people would come in and go, Paul, you're supposed to be doing this talk. Come on, put your attention. i say, yeah, 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 but I couldn't help myself. People would be grabbing my shoulder and I'd be drawn in. But as soon as I heard she wasn't talking about me, I'd lose interest like that. Like that. Yeah? Yep. No process, no practice, nothing. I would lose interest like that. Where's that interest going to go then when it's been unbridled to that, that, that obsession? Where is that interest or attention going to go? Who knows? Yes. Yeah? Who knows? But when the attention is freed from that habitual addiction to the mind stream, the dialogue, the narrative, I found that attention is pretty cool. It will be drawn to a lot of spontaneous, immediate things, but also will rest in itself, yeah? Or let's say in its source, you know what I mean? Yeah. It will start resting in its source because all of the looking, all of what it's attending to, what it's really, really been attending to is the attention itself or the underlying awareness. And yet, you have enough attention. I mean, that's when you see coincidences all day. And you see miracles. You'll be walking around and suddenly you'll be drawn to look a certain way. And then you see a dolphin, right, breaking the water. Mm -hmm. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. Because the attention, instead of walking in that little porno theater up in your head, you know, Paul's doing Dallas or Dallas is doing Paul, whatever, you're actually now open and conscious about the contact you're in here. Yeah? yeah. Not a you, obviously, but conscious contact. And that conscious contact is coming from an infinite source, so there's plenty of attention to spend, and it rests a lot in and of itself. To me, that's the sense of presence. How can, if supposedly God or whatever is everywhere, why aren't we bumping into him yeah, or her? How are we missing it? How the hell are we missing the obviousness of this? How? It's a, How? Because we're sucked up into that place in our head, and we actually cherish it. We cherish that, that sense of being a self. And we're holding out to be special up there. Yeah? The incessant hope of being special, this incessant mental hope, is really astounding. It really is. Because it can be the total denial of so much evidence that you're looking down a dead end. Yeah? Yep, and so you say we're always reacting to what we're not instead of responding no, to No, we're not we're... always reacting. The no. mind is reacting, but we're identified as that, yes. We're not reacting at all. That's the whole news. That's the good news. <laughs> We've never reacted to one damn freaking thing here. But what we're identified as is a reactor. 
That's what happened, yes? Yeah. Yeah. You are listening to the Urban Guru Cafe. I'll make a proper pot. Feeling good, feeling good. All the money in the world spent on good. What else can you tell me about Paul? He's located in California and he runs groups for AA members. California is very big. Is it north or south? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can get onto his site. Zen Bitch Slap and find out exactly where he's located. Okay. Feeling good, feeling good, all the money in the world spent on good. So you say if people ask, what do I need to do? They are hearing the message as though there is still a me to hear it. Can you explain this? And I was thinking also of the story about the lion and the sheep. That's a good way of putting it, yes? Yeah, excellent way. Good way of putting it. I could give you the long version, or I can just give you to the point. No, give me the long version. Oh, the long version. Well, the first part of it's an old story, an Indian story, which is about this young lion and his mother. The mother dies, and the young lion is sort of abandoned, and he comes upon a flock of, or a herd of sheep. And first the sheep are a little afraid, but then they realize... He doesn't know that he's a freaking lion. So they sort of adopt him, and he starts living like a sheep. Now, he may be not that happy about it, this and that, but he doesn't really know. But he's trying to buy and, you know, chew cud and run around, and, you know, people sit around, talk about sweaters and everything like that. And then uh, one day an old lion comes in to the meadow, and he wants to feed. And so he starts chasing the herd of sheep. And while he's chasing and he sees to his right, a lion running away. And so he's saying, another lion's joined the hunt. But then he realized the lion's running with the sheep. So he runs after the young lion and jumps on him. And the young lion rolls on its back and goes, please, please, Mr. Lion, don't eat me. Please, I'm just a humble sheep. So the old lion's a little perplexed. So he just grabs him and he drags him to this pond and he hangs the, both of their heads over. So the young lion sees the reflection. Yeah. And then he wakes up. And then the old lion says, roar. And then the young lion roars. He doesn't have to take eight weeks of workshops on how to roar. It's his innate nature, yes? So what happens is this message, in a way, is like, you're a lion. Now, people come and they hear it and they go, so they hear, you're a lion. But how it's translated in their head is, with the sheep ears, is I can become like a lion. So let's see. So let's say these young sheep hear about what it's like to be a lion. And it seems attractive because they don't think they have any of those qualities. So they start having an underground movement about becoming like lions. You know, and a few sheep join and they get pictures of lions. You know, they do prayers to the lions and they have, you know, they roaring practice and this and that. And so now they're very engaged in becoming like a lion. Yeah, sounds very noble and everything like that. But the dilemma is that their act of becoming like a lion is reassuring the fact that they're a sheep, which is not a fact. Yeah? Mm-hmm. They are a lion. So the same thing with the message. Hey, you're a lion. So the sheep ears hear it as, I can become like a lion. That's not the message. You're a lion. 
all right, yeah, I got it. I can become like a lion. That's not the message. So to me, it's not enough just to say you're a lion, but you've got to be like an ear doctor, yeah? You've got to check out how it's been heard or how it's been held. And then hopefully you can throw out, a, let's say, another suggestion to take it a little farther so that you realize what's usually receiving the message, the one that first grabs the envelope and opens it, is the sense of being the sheep, yeah? Yeah. And that neuters the message immediately. It neuters it. It just neuters it because obviously it then puts it into something that you're going to do. So no matter how long a sheep practices to become like the lion, it's never going to be a lion. Yeah? And all the while it is a lion already. Don't be sad cause your sun is down. You can rise above it. Don't be sad. You're on your own You have to learn to love it oh. What do you say to those who say they want to drop seeking? And also that idea of how people use seeking as a reflection that there is a seeker and it keeps the mind mesmerized. Well, yeah, if someone says, I want to drop seeking, of course you'd point them to, well, who's the seeker, yeah? I mean, it's somewhere or another, right? Yeah. That's an obvious, uh, yeah, it's important. See, the attention and how we entertain things here that's like the sheep and lion thing. The mind's ability to entertain is there, but it's been straitjacketed with a certain way of entertaining things. Yeah? The entertaining things of I'm the subject and that thing I'm going to entertain is the object. Yes? Yes. That's what neuters, I feel, the messages. Because as soon as the message is delivered in a sense, it gets interpreted or molded to fit the format we've been thinking in. Yes? Yeah. Living in. And that's a more difficult one for people to see. So you have to sort of present it and present it and stay. That's why I do three talks a week. Yeah. For me to go, hey, yeah, you're not the lion, and then never see them again doesn't fit well. So I want to be there, and hopefully there's that sense of certainty that's contagious. And obviously, that's the real message. It isn't the conceptual envelope it's being delivered in, but it's that sense of presence or that, you know, maybe the sense of your absence as being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. You could call that the sense of presence. That's the message. But most people's mail slot is a conceptual one, yes? They yeah. can't seem to recognize the message in silence or in space or presence. So you need to sort of create an indication or make up an indication to sort of catch their attention in a way and have that attention drawn back to that presence, yeah? There's no one doing it, but I find that's what happens at these events, these meetings. Because um, I know I've been listening to Bob now for nearly four and something years. It just seems to be that some people, you know, need to hear this over and over again before it finally sinks in. Yeah, I think it's repetition is valuable here. Yeah. yeah. Meaning here, you know what I mean? This format that we seem to be appearing in, I feel it can be very valuable, yeah. repetition. And so I enjoy, 
you know, what I don't know if you enjoyed or not. It's like my seat assignment at this moment, yeah? Mm-hmm. Just sort of provide the opportunity to hear it over and over and over again. That's it for this week, but that's not the end of Paul Hederman. No, there's no end to Paul Hederman. (laughs) No, there's no beginning and no end. And yes, we have one more part, part three of Paul Hederman coming up after James Braha. That's it. Hey, you heard it first here on the Urban Guru Cafe. Thanks for listening. We got any butter for the bread? The Urban Guru Cafe is produced in Australia. I am the Count, and I love to count. One, two. Did you ever watch Sesame Street? No, not really. Oh, yeah, I did as an adult, but not as a child. You did as an adult? Yeah. That's a bit of a worry. (laughs) (laughs) I had a great deal to learn. Yeah, well, it's a never-ending journey, isn't it? Yeah, indeed.